Good morning, church. My name is Jeremy Hetzel. I'm the director of student ministries here at Family of Christ. And I wanted to let everyone know that we are starting a new sermon series today. Sermon series is Holy Jeans. Which is why I am wearing these today. So please do not take this as any sign of disrespect. This is just tying in with the theme. Plus, I didn't have to do laundry. So what we're going to explore as we enter Advent, we are going to explore the ancestry of Christ. And the reason I wanted to do this was because when you read through a genealogy, you see a lot of different names. And it's really interesting to see the names and people that God used to bring about his son here on earth. So first question that I have is who were his ancestors? Who are Jesus' ancestors? Where do you find it? There's two genealogies, one in Matthew chapter one and one in Luke chapter three. Now upon studying these, if we could have that first one up, upon studying these, you recognize a couple things. First off, one of them goes from, um, I forget how it works, it goes backwards, but they, one goes all the way from Jesus all the way to Adam, and the other goes from Abraham to Joseph. Now, the other thing you notice when you study these is that once it gets to David, like they have all the same names in there, but once you get to David, in Matthew, he mentions Solomon, and then the line continues. And in Luke, he mentions David's other son by Bathsheba, Nathan, and then goes to Joseph. So if you study those, you go, um... I'm confused. There's, everyone starts and has Abraham and all those guys and gets to Jesus and everyone gets to Joseph, but between David and Joseph, there's lots of different names. So did they screw up? Did they not handle that right? Were they not meticulous? What did they do? So upon further study, and people that are much smarter than I have figured this out, they believe that Luke's line is actually Mary's line. So Matthew's genealogy traces the royal line through the kings, and Luke's line is the genetic line through Nathan, and that Mary's father's name was Heli, Heli, Heli. I don't know how to pronounce it. Um, But because in the Greek, when Luke was writing, they didn't have the term son-in-law, they put Joseph in because genealogies were traced through the men, the fathers. So what's interesting about this is that with both Matthew and Luke, we have the genetic line through Mary, and then we have the royal line through Joseph. And so in both ways, both of Jesus's parents are of the lineage of David. It's really cool to see how even when we look at scripture and can be confused, there are answers for how God has worked. So, because I recognize that reading genealogies are so exciting, we are going to read one. So bear with me as we read from Matthew chapter one. Now, as we read this, one of the things that I would love for you to pay attention to are the names that you recognize and the names that you don't. 
who are these people? What lives did they live? What stories do you know about them? Etc. So Matthew chapter one, starting at verse one. And if I butcher some names, I am sorry. A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Amminadab. Amminadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. Abijah, the father of Asa. Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. You ever heard the name Jehoshaphat? My dad loved saying the name Jehoshaphat. So whenever I hear Jehoshaphat, I think of my dad. And I think he often sometimes called me and my brothers Jehoshaphat, because we're all J's. So we just go, Jeremy, Jehoshaphat, come here. What? Come on, dad. Jehoshaphat. Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram. Jehoram, the father of Uzziah. Uzziah, the father of Jotham. Jotham, or Jotham, the father of Ahaz. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. Manasseh, the father of Amon. Amon, the father of Josiah. And Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel. Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel, the father of Abud. Abud, the father of Eliakim. I read all these at eight o'clock and it's still like super hard. Eliakim, the father of Azor. Azor, the father of Zadok. Zadok, the father of Achim. Achim, the father of Eliud. Eliud, the father of Eleazar. Eleazar, the father of Matan. Matan, the father of Jacob. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. Now, what do we know about these folks? Are any of them perfect? No. Are any of them sinners? All of them. Now, Were there some names that you recognized in that list? Probably some. Were there some names that you didn't recognize at all? I did some research on some of these because most of these guys in some way, shape or form are kings. Because again, this is the kingly line, the royal line of David. So from Solomon on, kings, a lot of them. And you realize some of them were not good kings at all. If you read in 1 and 2 Kings about some of their stories, You go, oh my gosh, like some of them didn't even pay attention to Yahweh at all. They didn't care about him one iota. They built high places and they worshiped all kinds of other gods and not the one true God. And yet, God still used them to bring about his son. God used them to change the world. Some people that didn't even listen to him or obey him. God will use you. Even if you're not following him, 
even if you don't love him. God, in his infinite wisdom, can choose to use you. So sometimes we wrestle, right? Sometimes we go, I, I'm, not, I'm not nearly good enough. I wrestle here. I've, I've done this in my life. I made these mistakes. God, God can't use me. I need to get right first. And Jesus says, no. You do not have to get right first because I will use you. Even when you don't want to be used, I will use you for my glory. God used all of these people on Joseph's side and then a bunch of different names on Mary's side to bring his son into the world. What an incredible comfort and gift for us to remember that even when we feel at our lowest, God still loves us and he wants to use us for his glory. All right, so we know a little bit about his history. Let's now go and study one of his ancestors. So today, and in, we'll do this a couple times this month, we're gonna study a different character from his genealogy. So now we're gonna study Rahab. Have any of you guys ever heard of Rahab? Rahab. We're gonna go to Joshua chapter two, starting at verse one. So if you have your Bibles, you can pull it out. We'll be working through Rahab's story. Um, if not, you can look on the screen. Joshua chapter two, verse one. When Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim, go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. What? So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab. So one of Jesus's ancestors who the royal line goes through was a prostitute? Now, I think a lot of time when we read scripture, we try to clean it up in our brain, right? We try to go, well, it didn't really. Joshua doesn't really mean prostitute. I mean, obviously this is scripture. He didn't mean prostitute. No, he meant prostitute. And so to help us kind of understand um, I have a picture that I want to show of kind of what might help you envision what this might actually look like. <laughs> so, for, I'm not encouraged students to see this movie. But if you've seen this movie, you kind of recognize that Julia, Julia, I just forgot her name, Roberts. Oh my, you guys know a lot about her. <laughs> so, um, Julia Roberts played this prostitute in this movie. So, as we go through the rest of the story, what I may do is throw in Julia's name instead of Rahab's. Just so that you envision this is not just some clean cut like, oh, she was a prostitute who loved God and she just, she was serving them spies. She's so nice. This was her profession. It was dirty and ugly and not good for her or other people, tearing families apart. She was involved in this, okay? Rahab, let's start at verse one again with this context in mind. Then Joshua, son of Nun, which means he did not have a dad. It's an old joke, y'all. I just think it's funny. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shidium. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. Now, why did they go into Rahab's house? 
I have no idea. Was she kind of standing there? Hi, boys. What was she doing? Why did they go in that house? Were they running? Were they trying to hide? Were they trying to be concealed? I don't know why, but they go into Rahab's house. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman, Julia, had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, "Uh, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they'd come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, the men left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. So now we know she's a prostitute with a sultry voice (laughs) and a liar, right? So she's doing all of this and she's in Jesus' bloodline. Ancestors of Jesus, this is her. So she sends them away, verse six. But she'd taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that led to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given this land to you and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. Now stop for a second. Here is a woman who is not an Israelite. She's probably lived in Jericho her entire life. In some way, shape, or form, she has gotten into the industry of prostitution. Her whole world is here in Jericho. I'm guessing this is probably the first time she's ever met an Israelite. I don't expect that she was out wandering around while they were in the desert for 40 years meeting them. She's been in Jericho. She says this in verse nine. I know that the Lord has given this land to you and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. I know God is giving you this land. How does she know? This is the first time she's probably ever talked to an Israelite. How does she know what God is doing? I don't know if the Holy Spirit was working on her. I don't know if she knew that the gods that she had been worshiping all her life were false and she thought it was dumb and the Holy Spirit moved on her and she heard about what was going on. She said, no, he is the true God. I don't know how she knew, but she knew God was working. We'll start at verse nine again. I know that the Lord has given this land to you and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We've heard how the Lord Yahweh dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt 40 years ago. And we've heard what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed When we heard of it, our hearts melted and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord, Yahweh, your God, 
is God in heaven above and on earth below. Here is a woman who is not an Israelite, who probably is meeting an Israelite for the first time, and she knows Yahweh, and she knows what he is doing. I find that amazing. I find that amazing to see how God works and moves ahead of us, even when we don't know what's coming. Verse 12. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord Yahweh that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and that you will save us from death. I think sometimes you read that and you might go, well, she's just an opportunist. She's heard what's happened. She knows at some point they're coming to come to Jericho because they want all of the land. So I'm just gonna side with them because they're gonna probably beat us and I'm just gonna keep myself safe. And that's a possibility. I think because she is saying clearly who is God and she knows what he is doing, I think God is moving her to help. It's interesting that she lists who she wants saved. My father, my mother, my brothers and sisters. Did she name a husband? Did she name her own kids? Now think about this. What was her relationship with her family like? Were they proud of her for her profession? Did they cheer her on? You go girl. I doubt it, maybe. Did they have a good relationship? we can hope that they did. But maybe they didn't. Because not all family relationships are easy, right? We disappoint one another. We hurt one another. We make decisions that cause pain. There's lots of stuff that we do sometimes that can tear families apart. She, in this situation, says, save me and my mom and my dad and my siblings and everyone that goes along with them. She is loving her family. Save us from death. Verse 14. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully. When the Lord gives us the land, so she let them down by a rope through the window for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. Her house is part of the city wall. What happens to the walls of Jericho? They came tumbling down. God saw fit to save her and her family, even in the midst of that attack, as Joshua and the Israelites just marched. I'm sure everyone else must have been like, I got my spear ready for when they charge. They're blowing trumpets. These folks are weirdos. And then all the walls go tumbling down and the Israelites rush in and there's a slaughter, but who lives? Rahab and her family. Now I'm curious, I don't think scripture says this, but I'm curious, did all of the walls tumble down except hers? Like, is that like the first Rapunzel's tower? Like what, how did that happen? Did, did God see fit to take them out? Not be in their house, be somewhere else so that they could be saved? I don't know how that happened. But again, miraculous and incredible. So what can we learn from Rahab? What does Rahab's story teach us? 
Well, I think there's one key thing. She was willing to forsake everything. She was willing to forsake everything. She'd lived in Jericho, I would assume, her whole life. Why would you live anywhere else? What are the most fortified city in that area? Jericho. They didn't have to fear about losing. They could go inside, close the gate, be safe. Great place to live. Her family was there. Her profession was there. Everything she knew was there. And then she is willing to forsake it all. I know God is giving you this land. Now I wonder, she could have let them go to sleep up on her roof and gone up and killed them. She could have protected her whole family, the whole town. Look at what a hero she is. When the soldiers came and she'd hidden them upstairs, she could have said, I don't know where they are. She could have done that. Why did she not? She could have done any number of things to support her own people. And she didn't. She forsake it all. Is that hard for us? Are we willing to forsake it all? Not only did she forsake it all, she was willing to forsake it all to join God in his work. That's a whole nother equation, right? Sometimes we're willing to forsake it all, but if we do that, well, it's because it's better for me. It's because I want this. I think this is better. I'm not happy anymore. I need to do this for me. And sometimes we're willing to forsake everything because it's for our own good. She was willing to forsake everything to join God in his work. I know you are giving this land to the Israelites. I know it, and I'm gonna join you in it. This reminded me of a quote I read this week from Bill Hybels, and it says this. To build authentic relationships with Jesus Christ, we have to declare war against whatever worldly entanglements keep us from daily fellowship with him. To build authentic relationships with Jesus, we have to declare war against whatever worldly entanglements keep us from daily fellowship with him. So as we enter into this Advent season, where it's busy, where there's a lot going on, where there's a lot of celebrating and joy, what are the worldly entanglements that you are not willing to forsake? Because God wants you to give it up. And sometimes it's good stuff. Sometimes it's worrying about family or wanting to provide the best Christmas ever. If they are keeping you from daily time with Jesus, then you are missing the point. This reminds me of another scripture found in Matthew, the pearl of great price. Have you guys heard this before? What I wanna do is, I didn't put the words up on the screen because I want you to close your eyes and listen and I will read it twice. Matthew 13, 45 to 46. This is a parable of Jesus. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away, sold everything he had and bought it. 
again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Are we willing to give up everything we have for Jesus? Are we willing to sacrifice the Christmas that we want because he's calling us to? Are we willing to forego the rest and recuperation that we want because he's calling us to serve? Are we willing to forsake everything for Jesus? I think most of the time we do not pursue him like this. We do not view him as a pearl of great price. We view him as someone helps us when we're in trouble. We view him as a comforter. Too often we don't view him properly. May his Holy Spirit help us put him on the throne of our hearts. I wanted to end by asking, are we willing to forsake it all? Because he forsook it all for us. Think about what he did for us. Why do we celebrate now? He came to earth. He left the comforts of heaven. He lived in a place that was dirty and dusty and full of sinners who didn't understand him. He spent three years with 12 guys who didn't understand. He loved, he spoke truth, he was patient, he spoke firmly when he needed to. And then he went to the cross. He died a horrible death, horrible. Have you watched The Passion of the Christ recently? Oh my gosh, I've watched it once. And I, I said to myself, I'm gonna watch this every Easter. I've only been able to bring myself watch it once because of the horrible death he went through. And then what does he say on the cross? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was separated from his father who he had been with for eternity. He gave of himself fully for us. And he calls us to do the same. He calls us to follow the example of his great, 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 great grandmother, Julia Roberts. And he said, and he said, follow her example. She gave it all up to follow me, to pursue me, to join me in my work. May we, as a people here at Family of Christ, be people who say, God, I want to forsake it all for you. Whatever you call me to, however, you, how, however hard it is, give up my home, give up the place I've always lived, I will follow you. May we, by the power of his Holy Spirit, be those people. Amen.